Welcome back to another episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. No Mitch show this week. He's uh, actually taking his daughter to college. Devin, however, is joining me today to fill in. Thanks, Devin. I know you've had a busy, busy schedule and you've missed a couple of shows. What have you been up to in the last <laughs> week, two, three? I don't even know what you do anymore. What do you do? You've been you've been busy too. Oh man. You've been <laughs> I've been uh it's it's more of the same uh but a lot of new projects are launching and things like that. Um and, and nothing exciting yet to report on. It's just a lot of meetings to go over things that may never become and uh I find that soul draining. I'd rather be out shooting. <laughs> but you've been busy too, man. There's there's been a few nights where I'm like, "Hey, you available?" and you're like, "Nope." I've been working on uh, out of town. Yeah, I've been working on DVD production for uh, uh Flatwater Terrors. Uh that's uh, going into print here in a week or two, so I was just finishing up uh the the little ins and outs the DVD menus and so on for another feature length release. Uh another uh horror movie great uh also i've been buying stuff um I've, I've been selling stuff off because we all get into this habit where we get new gear we're really excited about it we want to use it and then that gear gets old after three or four years and we decide maybe it's time to move on so on the chopping block for me uh this week actually i sold off my hero 3 black edition uh, managed to squeeze 220 bucks out of that. Go me. Uh, got rid of the Zoom H4n and replaced it with this guy right here. The camera that does not work, obviously, is, <laughs> is showing great pictures, so I guess I can't It's a that. loose cable. Yeah. It's HDMI failing once again. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I replaced it with a Zoom H6, and also I've got this guy here in my kit that I've been dinking around with. Uh, pre-shoot. I wanted to make sure I got it all set up. Uh, this is the Feel World uh, G55 uh, IPS display 1080p screen that's uh, HDMI SDI capable. Very nice screen. Uh, currently dealing with some battery issues though. You'll notice that I have an NP style battery mount on the back of this. Uh, when I got it, it actually came with a battery for LPE6 plate adapter, but it was a single LPE6 and I was only able to get maybe 40 minutes maximum. Which which is, isn't really usable for a monitor, much yeah. less a camera. So running it off of these larger NP batteries like this one right here, I'm able to get about two and a half to three hours out of it. So I was thinking maybe I could build an adapter and I stole this off of one of my small rig uh, monitors of old and this is a dual lpe6 adapter i'm going to solder this up so that they're in parallel and that would give you a doubling of maximum capacity for an lpe6 battery which is about equivalent to 400 or 4400 milliamp hours which is roughly the size of a medium mp battery so yeah. i have a lot more of the lpe6 if that works i'm going to end up going with this so uh I'll probably post some pictures on that in the near term. Have you been purchasing anything, buying anything, getting more uh, kit? Not anything that I have on me right now. Uh, uh, I bought an ICANN Spotlight. Uh, it's a little, geez, you got me over here in the moment. Um, and I can, it's so I like it because this ICANN Spot is USB powered, which is kind of weird, and it uses mini connectors instead of, uh, uh, you know, um, micro, which is. Uh, unusual these days uh but let's see here i pull this up and then i go over here and i say share screen and then i apologize to people who are listening because uh, they can't see this uh but this i can led here um i'm not necessarily in love with the light coming out of it i haven't really tested it yet but it seems to come out very very blue but i plan on using this anyways in the background as kind of an accent light so it's powerful enough that i can kind of put laser beams on the backdrops and things like that and because it's a focused light those two barn doors can actually be used as barn doors to cut the light as well as a little bit of diffusion and whatever else is on there. But uh, the pricing was okay for me, you know, $60 for that. And I'm like, ah, I can use it as like a hair light or something like that. It's just a nice little package. Or if I'm running around with my shoulder rig, I can just uh, USB power that guy and he'll run all day for me. So, uh, yeah, it's just something that was kind of cheap and light and fun to play around with. So I picked up one of those. Was the I can use this uh, a nice joke there? Because that's pretty funny, right? Uh <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> All right, that was the ICANN ILED. Is that LED, correct? yeah, MS, the micro spot, because they also have a small flood as well, which I bought. But uh, uh, once again, the lighting, it's I'm not – not a high CRI is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, kind of rough on the CRI index. So. Yeah, I've got a couple of the little baby ICANs that I'm using for the podcast mm-hmm. right now, and, and they work pretty well. Uh, the battery life on them is about an hour and a half to yeah. two hours. Not horrible. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about, uh, you'll notice now that I'm not peaking and my audio levels have gotten a little bit better. I'm going to change back over to the extra cam, and I apologize to those who are listening to the podcast as opposed to watching it, but we've kind of changed the studio setup a little bit. It's still a freaking mess, and if anybody mm-hmm. comes up with a better way to route audio, please uh, feel free to send information my way. Right now, I'm using a Tascam DR70D as my main recorder, and that is mixing down the audio tracks from the return path, which is the Lexicon here that's bringing Devin's audio back into the recorder. And then I am recording my own, or I'm sending my own audio back to Google Hangouts via the Zoom H6. And that's a pretty messy configuration that makes a pile yeah. on my desk. So if you, <laughs> if you think of some better way to do this, basically I'm trying to separate Devin's channel out so it doesn't feed back to him via Hangouts and... I've done this, it works, but there's a lot of wires on my desk, and it's not nearly as convenient as I'd like it to be. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the news, Devin? Uh, No, I think I'm good with that. Let's move on to the news. All right, time for the... Time for the news! Time for the news! Time for the news! First up, let's talk about a new standard. Bluetooth 5.0 is sort of on its way. We haven't got the official announcement yet, but there has been a letter written describing uh, what we can expect to see in this latest revision of the standard. You can find that here on the Bluetooth news. Uh, Richard writes a nice letter explaining some of the stuff that we should expect to see. Uh, The takeaway from this is actually that we'll get more range at still a low power function, and we will also get quadruple the speed, so more data across Bluetooth. Also, some independent control even when the device is not connected via Bluetooth. Uh, Devin, what do you think this means for uh, cell phone users and people with wireless headphones? Is this going to be a better deal? We're going to get better resolution audio? Uh, I mean, for one thing, yeah, I think definitely they'll... um uh, more bandwidth always means more that you can do with audio. Let's face it. Uh, you and me have been trying out Bluetooth long enough. We know what Bluetooth 2.0 headphones sound like, and it's a it's a far cry from just a simple analog jack. Uh, but for me, uh, I'm excited for reasons that you know don't exactly fall under this show. Uh, in in cases where this means usually that uh, also with doubling the range. And features is that mesh networking and beacons are going to become more of a thing. Uh, In home automation, one of the big problems with having lights that automatically turn off and turn on is that uh, it doesn't, you know, necessarily know if somebody's in the room or if they aren't because it's either based off motion. So what happens when somebody doesn't move or other annoying things like that? Everyone's like gone to work on the toilet and the light turns off on you because you stopped moving for, you know, two minutes. So there's a this makes it interesting because I think this will really change the game from home automation. Uh, it's going to be interesting because it sounds like the 2.4 gigahertz is going to get a lot more noisy as if it isn't already. Uh, but still, I'm excited to see what kind of people are going to take this technology and move it out. I think this is really going to start to push out uh, Zigbee and Z-Wave as home automation standards as Bluetooth is so ambiguous and it's built into every product that now just about anything with a cheap chip can become part of some kind of integrated home automation thing. More range, though, I think will definitely uh, mean that we may see some wireless audio applications in terms of low-budget indie filmmaking that uh, instead of maybe using, uh, you know, a Wi-Fi standard, just use a standard Bluetooth standard that may, may th- make things interesting. I mean, imagine if, uh, you know, your uh, boom op could wirelessly not just send its audio, you know, in high quality to the recorder, but also listen with Bluetooth headphones, just oh, off the shelf yeah, Bluetooth headphones. Oh, yeah, but what headphones. about the latency, man? I mean, Bluetooth latency for headphones is, is pretty, pretty substantial. 
Possibly. Uh, for me, it wouldn't bother because I'd have noise-isolated headphones anyways because that's how I shoot. I'm used to delayed audio. But I understand what you're saying. Uh, you know, live mixing is not probably going to be a possibility with Bluetooth stuff. But I'm always excited because out of most things, Bluetooth stuff always seems to be super cost-effective. And it's just the performance hasn't been there. So this stating that it's going to increase performance, increase range, and things like that, I think may open up the door for more companies to start using it as part of their products. Uh, you know, especially too. Uh, I always hate using Wi-Fi to connect to cameras. It'd be really great if cameras could connect over Bluetooth, because usually when you connect over Wi-Fi, it shuts down your data and all this other stuff. And just the way internal data routing works inside of a phone, connecting something via Wi-Fi is always stupid to me. The Bluetooth Bluetooth option is actually, uh, that's a pretty interesting feature that I'm already seeing in cameras. Uh, The GoPro has a Bluetooth option. Uh, The camera that I'm using right now, the E1Z cam, has Bluetooth functionality that allows to start, stop recording. I believe the Zoom H8 uh, has a Mm -hmm. Bluetooth interface that allows you to basically control the recorder, start and stop channel recording and see uh, basic level information uh, on the fly via Bluetooth. Those are all implementations of Bluetooth. And I've even seen, and maybe I'm, I can't remember for sure, so I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Bluetooth functionality for start, stop recording in even high-end cameras. Uh, I might be wrong, but it seems like that uh, JVC uh, G300 yeah, had some sort I, of Bluetooth I think you're right functionality on that as well as Wi-Fi functionality. And you're absolutely yeah, right, Devin. On that. The Wi-Fi usage, like there's nothing worse than you're like, oh, I need to look something up on my phone, but your phone is bonded to a Wi-Fi network that dead ends right. at your device. So you can't get any data or anything like that. <laughs> there, yeah. And so, um, and so it, that would be great. And then imagine, too, other th- – because uh, Bluetooth, this is starting to get into the bandwidth where, I mean, we're not talking uncompressed, you know, 1080p here, but we are st- starting to talk about numbers where we could be seeing – uh, better live previews with less latency. Imagine if a camera could have built-in Bluetooth and anyone with a Bluetooth device could watch a video stream off of it. You know, obviously there'd be a limit on the number of devices and things like that, but how cool would it be if you had like a new C300 or something like that or a new Sony camera and literally everyone around you with Android and iPhones could dial into the camera and have their own director's monitor that you don't have to wire up and worry about uh, syncing and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's kind of where I see this going. Of course, like you kind of mentioned, I think um, it's funny because JVC will probably be the first people to really jump on uh, this new technology with Bluetooth because well, they I always think, seem to yeah, be at the, the forefront. The FS5 and FS7 have some sort of Wi-Fi functionality, if I remember correctly. They do. And you can actually set up an IP address that everybody can log into that network uh, via repeater or what have you, and then yeah. see a stream, a dedicated H.264 stream that's going from the camera, you know, down resed or what have you, and they can watch it via a web browser or a plug-in on their phone, or computer, or smart device. And that, I mean, that's okay. Uh, setting some, something yeah. like that up, especially if people are relying on it as their view for what's going on. I mean, there's delays. Uh, sometimes uh, with that many Wi-Fi connections going on in the same room, you can have issues with uh, latency or plain mm-hmm. refresh rates. You know, watching something at 15 frames per second can be extremely painful now before we get off the bluetooth topic and devin and i were both uh uh, reminiscing about our favorite bluetooth headphones and i actually happen to have a pair right here uh this is the motorola s305 and these were top of the line in 2011 um i use these as disposable bluetooth headphones they're about 15 bucks a pop uh, they last about four and a half to five hours. You can find them on eBay or on Amazon for really cheap. They're very comfortable, uh, fairly loud, and they don't get in the way, and they're so affordable that if you break them, you just go get another pair. And in fact, uh, when I'm traveling, I keep two to three pairs of these in my bag, and that way I never have to worry about battery life issues. This can last me two or three days easily with three of these in my bag without any issue at all, continuous listening. Uh, Devin, you've had a couple of pairs of these. What do you think? I've had a single pair of mine because I've not worn through mine as quickly as you wear through yours. Obviously, you are the expert on the reliability of those headphones, but I've always loved mine, and uh, it still has been keeping up. Even though mine are from 2011, I easily get like three and a half, probably four hours out of it. Uh, They handle sweat and everything else that goes into it, and I've always been impressed with the, the sound quality. I know it's like 
you know, kind of older Bluetooth and they're kind of cheap, you know, $20 headphones at this point. But uh, for me, unlike a lot of wireless earbuds I've tried out, it's like these stay on my ears. These are pretty comfortable. And the sound, like it's not it's not brilliant but it's not too much in one direction it's not too bassy it's not too tinny it doesn't sound super flat it's actually a pretty pleasant sound for what is like wireless headphones and i know right now the rage is like the wireless earbuds where there's not even a wire going in between those are the worst (laughs) and there's so many problem with those and everything else and i'm like look if you just want some wireless headphones that just work and they sound okay and they're for running or you know working outside or something like that literally 20 bucks and you can't go wrong is <laughs> for the price they're the best thing you can buy now let's move on down the line in the show notes here and talk about batteries for your rig uh, we're all very familiar with uh, gold mount and v-mount batteries we've talked about them a lot on the show but what if you want to strap a big old freaking battery to your rig that doesn't require a snap-in plate or a np battery type of of setup where the battery isn't solid mm-hmm. let's look at this thing Devin. what is this grip and apparently uh, zacuto <laughs> has just moved into the market with this thing uh, but it's been sold mm-hmm. under different brand names previously tell me more about it yeah, I we I believed we hit this up uh, probably months ago. I think I threw this back in the uh, I threw this in the the notes uh, quite a long time ago because this company came out and it was kind of like eh, there isn't really too much of a of a use for it. And I didn't see a lot of people buying it or being interested in it. But I thought uh, if you just needed to, you know, r- you aren't necessarily interested in swapping out batteries on the fly like a gold mount or a V mount. This is a way to. Power your EVF, power your Atomos Ninja, power your camera, power everything you want off of one battery. When this one battery lasts you eight hours, most people don't need to worry about hot swapping batteries. Um, This is what, like 75 uh, watts or so? Uh, yeah, I believe this one's about an 80, 75 or 80. And I do think they make ones that go up to 120 maybe or 130. Okay. Uh, but in any case, this snaps right onto your 15 millimeter rails. They're all about being easy. They've got a big uh, D-tap slash P-tap. And the reason why now Secudo has jumped on it is because the new Secudo Gradical, uh, which is their new EVF, doesn't have any kind of battery options in terms of like sliding in an LP or anything like that. As opposed to, I think the previous Gradical actually had an LP mount so that you could put a Canon battery on there. And so now, realizing that they, they have a problem, Zakudo's like, oh, here's an accessory you can use to power your Gradical. Uh, so that's why Zakudo's jumping all over it. That's why it's back in the news. But I just think it's cool because if you want to go in the direction of having a few accessories with your DSLR camera uh, and then not have everything have like a Sony MP on it or have like a couple Canon LPs on it, uh, and you do want that one battery that just runs it all for eight hours, uh, this is definitely a very affordable way to go about that. And it's, it's, I love it because it's not bulky. As soon as you add that mounting plate and like you attach that to rails and stuff like that, it kind of starts to bulk out the rig. I think this is really the most minimal way to add 70, 80 watt hours to your rig uh, without getting super crazy with uh, clips and everything else and angles and stuff like that. So, and, and if you shoulder mount, it's a nice counterweight too. You know, you're not wasting that weight. So they come in a few different models and you, when you compare them to how much a gold mount is, they're about the same price, maybe a little bit cheaper. Uh, than what a gold mount would be, probably closer to what V-mounts cost in this range. But once again, uh, if you don't want to deal with the bulk, you can kind of just buy this one battery and it runs everything for you. And I think it includes a charger, which for that price, you wouldn't get a charger if you bought a V-mount. What is the price, Devin? Because I'm looking around here trying to find actual prices on this, and I'm not seeing anything listed on their site. Well, last time time I looked at it, uh, let me see here. Um, cause I looked at, at Secudo. Did you look at it at, uh, their official website? Cause that's part of it too, is that in the press release a long time ago, they had a price. Yeah. I went straight to the, uh, what is it? Uh, Woodward, Zacuto? Uh, or no Hawk Woods. I went straight to yeah. their site to check it out. And, uh, it looks like on the Zacuto no, site, $260, they... maybe they've bought the rights to sell this exclusively. I, they might have bought the rights to sell it exclusively because I'll tell you I can't find it anywhere else. Uh, but yeah, the seventy-five watt hour is two sixty, um, and so and that supposedly includes the charger. And once again, it's like yeah, you can maybe find some Chinese uh, batteries that are a little bit cheaper than this, but you need the mounting plate and all of that kind of stuff to make it all work, and it bulks up your rig. Uh, and this is all about hey, I'm only going to have one battery. Uh, and it's just a, it's a nice way to enter into it. If I wasn't so power hungry, 
<laughs> to put it one way, uh, then I would go with a solution like this for powering my rig instead of going with the uh, gold mounts that I have now. Nice. Yeah, I don't really need giant battery solutions like this. In fact, um, I'm heading to Peru here in, in another week or so, and I was trying to figure out a way to charge every single device that I'm taking with me via USB. And I know that sounds that's I when I say that it out, sounds ridiculous. When I say it out that loud, does. I I start to think, man, this is stupid. But <laughs> hear me out. So uh, using a, an actual converter to go from uh, sixty hertz to fifty hertz, and then the two twenty uh, versus one twenty, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of risks involved with hooking your equipment yeah. up, using proper adapters, making sure everything's rated. And I don't want to blow any camera kit up, and so. For about 40 bucks, I can buy one of those uh, two-amp, 10-port uh, chargers, and those are capable of handling both uh, 120 and 220 at, uh, uh, or excuse me, 240 at 60 and 50 hertz. So you basically just buy a, a little plug-in adapter for it, plug it into right. the wall, and then I was looking on eBay and I was looking on Amazon, and I found a set of battery chargers, dual battery chargers, that will charge uh, both uh, the Sony A7S batteries as well as my trusty LX100 batteries. I can charge up a big, heavy-duty battery that will provide 14.4 volts at the tap if I need it for running any kind of monitors or anything like that. I can charge up uh, my phone. I can charge up a tablet. And I'm bringing a Windows Surface with me, which is also chargeable via USB. So all those items combined to make a very minimalist uh, uh, production setup that is 100% USB. And then, of course, I'm bringing uh, some small lights that are chargeable via USB with a rechargeable battery built into them. So, bam, I think I've actually nailed it. It still seems, like, ridiculous to me, but... I'm trying. You, to- you've got to post some of those pictures on Twitter. I got to see this layout in action that you're speaking oh, of. Oh man, I, <laughs> it's going to be a mess. But uh, I I have to fit everything into 2,500 or no two yeah 2,500 square inches. So my mm-hmm. my travel space to Peru is very small. It's like a single backpack. So that that includes my clothes, my camera gear, everything else. And of course, there'll be kit for me when I get there. But I still <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. have some of my own stuff just in case things go sideways. And then I need to bring low enough value stuff that if I end up getting stopped by the police or uh, uh, picked up by bandits, that uh, I'm not mm-hmm. crying when I am robbed blind of all my equipment. Uh, <laughs> okay. This is a crazy dream of mine and the travel dream to charge everything via USB. I don't know if it'll yeah. if I'll actually make it there. I may still have to carry some things with plugs, but we'll find out. All right, moving on down the line. This next one is yours as well, Devin. Uh, headsets? Yeah. What, what, what is going on? Yeah, I know. With- you don't care. You don't care about it. Okay, so... Anyone who's working with a team of cameramen, uh, usually in a live broadcast situation, it's not necessarily useful for indie film guys. But if you are doing live broadcasts, uh, this company is showing off at uh, the Cine Expo. Uh, These headsets, which run for six hours, uh, will run 400 yards from the master headset. And you can have up to four without having some kind of hub or controller unit. And what's really crazy is the price. They're only 150 a headset. And I know you're thinking, Devin, uh, I can get a GMRS radio for about 30 bucks a piece. Why would I go for uh, something like this? And really the reason why is because these have full duplex. And that's what you don't get on a radio. On a radio, when you talk, you can't hear anyone else. And when somebody else is talking, no one else can talk. And full duplex allows you to talk and listen simultaneously without clicking stuff on and off or anything like that. Uh, In most cases, a film set can get away with just normal two-way radios because, uh, you know, they don't necessarily need to call camera cues and a bunch of crazy stuff. But here, this is the cheapest I've seen for a portable system. They have swappable batteries, so you don't need to, like, take off the headset to charge it. They only take two hours to charge a battery. They last for six hours. Um, And so there's a few small productions I've been on that have in the past that at this point would have definitely had the budget for this instead of doing some kind of like, you know, super expensive clear comm system or anything like that. I don't think this will match kind of the quality you get with a clear comm or another proper wireless communication system for broadcast. But if you're kind of like, 
uh, you know, shooting like uh, high school sports or stuff like that, you want to communicate with uh, your cameraman while you're switching graphics or something like that, you can buy a couple of these headsets. You don't need a base station. They require no setup. You just turn them on and go. And so that kind of simplicity and everything, I think, makes them really cool. So probably not very interesting for most of our viewers, but I, I think that there's maybe a few guys out there who have been looking for a really good communication system that is idiot-proof, uh, maybe, and uh, as well as affordable. When I saw these, I was thinking, man, if I were still playing paintball, uh, this would be the perfect <laughs> like strategic coordination yeah, they're a little yep. big and goofy. I would love to see something smaller than this. Uh, the interchangeable batteries is nice. It, honestly, on a regular uh, film set, I I don't use walkie-talkies unless I'm trying to cue someone from a long ways away. And in years past, I mean, we have cell phones. It's yeah. not really that big a deal. What I do miss, though, and uh, you may remember this from the early 2000s, push to talk. Yeah. You remember that feature? That used yeah. to be amazingly handy when I was trying to keep track of people who were going out picking up items for a shoot while also, you know, having someone gather the generator and random actors uh, and actresses. That was mostly through Sprint, right? And it was using cell phone to cell phone communication? Yeah. Uh, I, the one I was using was via Verizon, if I remember okay. correctly. Or it may have been uh, Altel is the, the provider. But the... Yeah. Uh, I think like Altel that. was the provider. But uh, the nice thing was is that your cell phone worked as a cell phone, but you could also uh, use the cellular network like a walkie-talkie. And uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, simplex, so you push the button, it hit whoever you're talking to or a bunch of people, and it would, you know, you would say what you need to say and then wait for a response. And so if you had like five or six people on the push to talk, you just push it and you're like, hey, where, you know, where's the water at? Where's the generator at? What's the ETA right, on yeah. our freaking actors getting here from, you know, the hotel? And and you would get somebody who was listening because everybody had it on and they would be like, oh, yeah, I'm like 15 minutes away. The water's out here. You know, the generator just showed up and I'm loading it right now, you know, or whatever. And like that, that was super handy. And, and it's a shame that that feature went away because uh, it didn't cost you any minutes. People didn't have to carry around a second device in order to communicate. And for the most part, you didn't have to worry about like charging another device and making sure that it had juice in it. Um, I do miss those days. I, I know what you're talking about because uh, I know that it was used a lot, too, in like construction work and things like that. A lot of people uh, really used it. And then I guess everything went digital or whatever, and it just disappeared. Yeah, I, I know a couple people that try to use Facebook Messenger in that manner. And it's, oh. it's frustrating as hell because I'm one of those guys who doesn't have Facebook Messenger installed on my phone. I, I refuse to install right. Facebook on my phone. And <laughs> then they're like, well, didn't you get my Facebook message? You know, it went out to the group, so you should see it. It's like, mm-hmm. so I have to use the web browser on my phone to log in and, like, check it. Uh, I try to avoid that as much as possible. It's a nightmare. Now, something I'm not avoiding is hopefully finding out more about the GH5. Panasonic has the GH4 right now. It's getting a little bit long in the Tooth and Devin and I were discussing before the show that the price has actually dropped down to $899 on eBay on the gray market. So if you're looking for a GH4, they are extremely well-priced. Uh, this latest rumor on the GH5, though, is claiming that we may still see a repeat of the previous generation of sensor, the 16-megapixel sensor used in the original GH5 and now used in the GX80. And the reason they may go with this is the possibility that the higher capabilities of the CPU in the GH5 will allow the camera to extract more color information from the sensor itself. Devin, you've seen the features and the reviews of the GX80 or 85 or uh, mm-hmm. what's the other one? Was the, the GX7 Mark II, I think yeah, is what Mark it's called II, in yeah, Japan. Yeah, something crazy like that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it. I To me, it's looking impressive. The stabilization is looking impressive. It's still low bit rate. Uh, but for the most part, it looks like what I would kind of expect out of a GH5. The bigger question is, now kind of getting an idea of what sensor's in it, uh, do you still believe the GH5 is going to be a 5K camera? Uh, I don't know. I I want to maintain that uh, that expectation going forward mm-hmm. and, and i you know i'm the one who a couple episodes ago or five or six episodes ago predicted what i thought i'd see in the gh5 i hope that it's going to be 5k um actually i don't know i don't even know if i hope it's not really that big a deal <laughs> to me if it doesn't uh, exceed 4k in this next iteration in fact if mm-hmm. the camera comes out as a 4k camera but they add image stabilization 
a little bit better low light performance. I would love to see the camera be able to perform at up to 3200 ISO instead of 1600 ISO and not have it start to break down. Um, you give me a little bit higher bit rate in the 4K mm-hmm. image capabilities and also maybe tweak it so that I have some sort of built-in flat picture style, even though I'm not a big fan of that, uh, but make it available for me without an extra pricey upgrade of 100 bucks. And the GH5 would still be in a really sweet spot. Uh, I, I still have all of my... Uh, micro four thirds lenses. I bought the entire collection when I switched over to the GH4, and I still shoot on the GH4 on a regular basis. Uh, it's the it's the yin to my yang with my Sony <laughs> A7S. I mean, you know that almost works out because I use the A7S for low light, and I use the GH4 for pretty much everything else. The GH4 is a joy to shoot on. The lenses and the selection that mm-hmm. I have of them are great. They weigh a lot and less. It's light. Oh man, it is small. so light. And in fact, I saw one review complaining about the GX85. You know what the complaint was? It was heavy. It was heavy, yeah. And the funny thing is, is people were complaining before when the GX7 came out, which is a bigger camera. They're like, this feels cheap. It's too light. So then yep. what does Panasonic do? They they add a little bit of dummy weight to the uh, GX85. I believe it's called ballast. Ballast, yes. <laughs> and, and now people are like, well, this is too heavy for travel. I don't like this. Ah, It's like, well, yeah. how are they going to win here? You know? Yeah, <laughs> they'll never be happy. Uh, the feature I would like to see... Uh, most and you can tell me if this is just not physically possible with today's technology but if that image stabilizing sensor uh, could work with any lens including lenses that don't natively communicate with the camera because I imagine at that point to stabilize it would have to like actually analyze the image to see objects and stabilize oh, no. so based th- on that's that. completely possible the Olympics Olympus uh, uh, OMD uh, Mark five two what Mark two uh, Mark two five, five. okay yep. whatever that one is capable of doing that. Uh, your image stabilization on sensor is based specifically on the camera's position and orientation. So it's using rotation, roll, your X Y, and so on mm-hmm. to determine where the camera is, how it's moving, and then adjust the sensor's uh, position in space. Uh, but I thought if you had a really long focal length that then if you're like trying to adjust based off the accelerometers, you could end up overcorrecting. Uh, it's less about that. It's more about it not being able to keep up with that dramatic of shake in a really long reach lens. So you're still going to want IS if you're using something. I don't have it on my desk but because I was shooting mm-hmm. with it earlier. But uh, the 40 to 150 millimeter uh, f2.8 Olympus lens, right. that one does not have image stabilization built into the lens body itself. So you put that onto the OMD5 uh, Mark II, and it's going to still give you uh, a noticeable shake hand handshake at uh, mm-hmm. 150 which is the 300 millimeters equivalent uh, if you put a 40 millimeter lens on there which is or a 45 millimeter lens on there it's going to give you about uh, 90 millimeters equivalent and the shake goes away dramatically uh, if you use uh, the uh, what is it 35 to 100 millimeter f2.8 that has built-in is Mm-hmm. on a in-camera image stabilized uh, body the is in the lens will give you that extra bit of stabilization on top of that that provides you with a nice stable image so you can get a lot out of the in-body image stabilization especially at wider focal lengths but you start going into the 100 millimeter on a uh, mm-hmm. a crop sensor camera, a micro four thirds camera. And that's just enough reach that it's starting to, the, it's not the, effective. Yeah. The amount of movement that you get, you know, this far out is so much that the, the compensation in the, in the, the sensor movement isn't enough to mm-hmm. completely uh, eradicate motion. I mean, it'll still smooth it a bit, but it's not nearly as dramatic as putting like a 15 millimeter, uh, F one seven on your body and then, and moving it around. And we saw that actually at NAB when we were messing around with the GX 85, it was, they put a, you know, a, a medium range, like 50 equi- equivalent lens on there and it looked good. You know, it was really stabilized and nice and, and solid. But if you go to the store and you grab an OMD Mark, uh, 5 Mark II and you put a long-reaching lens on there, the image stabilization in body doesn't do as good a job as having IS in the in the lens body itself. So right, you could use any off-the-shelf uh, manual focus lens. You just be aware that the further 
you have the higher millimeter rating of the lens, the longer the reach, the less, the it less it's going to do. Absolutely. That was All a right, long-winded rant. No, 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 but that, I think that was very educational because, um, yeah, it's, it's part of that is ha- adding a little bit of stabilization to maybe some of those like cheap cinema glasses we see, like a Rokinon and stuff like that. Well, and it's the same thing on my Sony A7S Mark II, which is set up right now. Uh, I can put a Canon 50-millimeter f one two FD lens on here and get image stabilization uh, out of the body. And it does just fine. I, I would argue it looks as well stabilized as any of the uh, other lenses that mm-hmm. are available. But you start getting really long reach lenses. Like, uh, well, I guess I have IS in my 200, so that doesn't count. But, you, you know, if I turn that off, it'll eventually, shake. You'll notice yeah, eventually, it. no matter how much, there, there's no way the sensor could jump and move into the position it needs to get to in order to capture the same light. So... Yeah, as as things stretch out, as in camera stabilization can only go so far compared to optic stabilization. All right, so let's get back to the GH five. What what we want out of this, uh, if I'm getting this correctly from you, is we want mm-hmm. good five axis image stabilization. Uh, we yeah. want some improved color space and Kodaks for four K at the very minimum. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe some usability features like a, a better. Uh, menu system. I mean, it's already pretty easy to use the GH4, but there's a few things that I would love to see tweaked, like the timeout on the screen, uh, maybe a higher resolution flip out screen. And what about media? Do we want to see uh, the new Q? Crap, what is it? QX? QX? Uh, I, yeah, I I don't think it's. I don't think they would do this, but I could see them going to a new storage format requiring higher speed if they were doing 10-bit video in camera, which I don't think is something they're interested in doing. I don't think that's in their market share. Uh, And as like with the GH4, they're just going to advertise, hey, we can do 10-bit out of the HDMI. So if you really need it, just go record it externally. So, uh, But that would be the only reason I would see the need to really jump up because at the end of the day, it's still a hybrid camera. It's still a photography camera. And so they're going to base all their specs, FPS, and everything else based off of uh, higher-end memory cards. But it's not going to be like a black magic where uh, the highest quality setting only works with a SanDisk 95 megabit read-and-write card. Um, and, and I think, too, that they, they wouldn't want to push it in that territory. So I'm not sure we're going to see bit rates over 200 megabit in this camera uh, just because... Uh, they they don't want to limit the kind of cards you can use well, and have people start being like, this card didn't work with my camera. That's what I I was trying to remember because uh, the, the labels and standards for memory cards have jumped past the cameras that I own and I don't own anything with the new stuff yet. But CFast and uh, XQD are the two competing yeah. standards now. But XQD is, is closer to uh, the format of a SD XC card. So uh, similar yeah. size. And then the CFast is your, uh, it's very fast, compact, packed flash, basically implementing SATA mm-hmm. in the card. Uh, the XQD, I could see Panasonic moving to that if they're trying to get to a higher bit rate. Uh, that's going to be pretty much a standard in cameras moving forward and imagine for a second if you will that we get what the, what's the burst rate in the gh4 like 11 frames per second maybe i 10 believe it's about 11 something yeah. like that so it's a very high number but imagine if you had a card that would never write slow enough that you would ever have to worry about filling up the buffer now you could go from 11 frames per second to i don't know like 18 or 20 frame maybe 24 frames per second and if we can send 24 frames per second, uh, still images, uh, maybe raw, who knows what that could mean for the GH5. I, I, obviously, oh, you're, I'm you're just, just spitballing here. But, <laughs> you're just shooting for the stars. But I mean, oh, imagine goodness. if that was possible. Uh, and yeah. The data rate uh, could coincide with that, or at least uh, JPEG images, or uh, maybe if you could do like a, a 3 to 1 or a 4 to 1 compression on your raw files being sent to the card. Uh, you might be able to keep up with that. I mean, what's the bandwidth on an XQD? I think it's like uh, 300 megs on the uh, top uh, end. Yeah, it, well, it, it depends on what format you go with. But generally speaking, most of them coming out of Sony, which is the better medium of choice at this time, probably. Uh, their write speed is like 350. 
Okay. Uh, but what's nice, though, is that they're still reasonably priced. And while everyone always like flips out when a new card comes out and it costs a crap ton of money, um, in this case, 350 megabytes per second, and that is bytes, not bit, uh, is three times faster than those SanDisk cards. And you can get a 128 gigabyte for 170 off of B&H. Uh, that's pretty cheap. I mean, it's a little bit over a dollar per gig, but that's pretty cheap compared to a slow CFast cards because you can't get CFast cards that are well above 500 megabytes re- uh, write speed. Uh, but you can get a 300 megabit write speed CFast 2.0, and it's double the price for a 128 gigabyte. You're spending over $2 per gigabyte. So XQD is the smaller form factor. Uh, it may not have the potential to reach those incredible speeds that CFast does because it's basically just shoving a tiny SSD in your camera. Uh, but I think it's pretty affordable by today's standards because uh, I know a lot of people when yeah, the FS7 first came out, I'm looking at the, you're absolutely right, man. I didn't even think of that. The prices here, these prices yeah. are similar to what we were spending on 95 megasecond cards not more than like eight months ago. And yeah. the prices will continue to drop as the media becomes more and more popular with more and more cameras. Uh, I think I think you might be onto something here, Devin. <laughs> that is so if it because obviously this CFast is still bigger, so it would be used uh, 2.0. CFast 2.0 is still bigger. I'd still see it being used in your 70s and your 5Ds and whatnot. Uh, but you're right. From the mirrorless market, none of them have taken a stand yet. But I could see them being like, hey. We want to do 5K video. Well, we better get some faster memory cards, and they go with the Sony standard for that. So, All right, moving on down the line, uh, we've beat the standards of the GH5 <laughs> to death. Let's talk about exploding Steadicam rigs. Uh, this is an interesting article uh, from, it looks like this is the YouTube link, but I also picked it up on planet5d.com. Yes. Uh, free advertising for Mitch as there, well even as- not on the show. <laughs> even though he's not here. Uh, well, some of the comments that we have in our notes is from Petapixel. I don't know if they are the original people who added these notes to it, uh, but they had comments on the failure. Now, what the the video, if you haven't seen it already, you can go watch it. Um, a Steadicam op is testing out, uh, actually, a Steadicam arm. We saw it in AB. Uh, this is at the Cine Expo. That's an area, Where it uses isn't rubber it? bands. That's flying off of there? That's like a... Holy crap! That's a that's probably like yeah. a fifty thousand dollar camera going. I, I believe it was quoted at sixty thousand, but yeah, 60, that's an Arri Alexa, dang. and um, fully kitted out to show the maximum weight potential of the arm because that's what they're uh, showing off here was the arm, which was made out of rubber bands. Kind of a unique way of doing a steady arm, and I'm not a, enough of a steady cam operator to comment whether that is uh, genius or that's just. Uh, you know, just something to do on a whim. But he was testing out the rubber bands. It did a full extension. And then part of the bracket that holds the arm, the part that actually the company making the arm isn't responsible for, that actually snapped. Uh, the Steadicam operator in the video came anonymously on the news site and said that, uh, yeah, he's had these problems with these arms before. This is the third one he's seen break in his career. He's got two of them broken at home. Um, and said that it had something to do with the pro arm, the company that makes this bracket. Uh, and then the owner of the company or one of the heads of the company came back and said, uh, you're using it wrong. That's supposed to be a back mounted arm, not a front mounted arm. Either way, politics and gossip and everything else that goes with it. Uh, but either way, it's uh, it's it's one of those that is unfortunate to see because it looked like he was having fun and definitely impressed with the lightness of the camera arm. And then to have it snap and a $60,000 Aria Alexa come crashing to the ground oh, is always a tragic day. Yeah, one of the things, and Devin and I got to play around with the rubber band uh, steady arms at NAB. Uh, I've only ever taken the, the one-week steady arm class, so I'm not a pro by any means, and I've never had to do it uh, long-term. Uh, but I will tell you that adjusting the springs and tweaking all of that business, going through the class, and then uh, trying to eliminate the creaking mm-hmm. sound of the springs, all those things can be uh, somewhat daunting. With the rubber band system, well, I don't know if rubber bands are the solution for everything. It's really cool that you can just slip another rubber band on each side in order to increase the capacity of the units themselves. And uh, you played with the same one that I played with. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was it was quiet. You didn't hear the rubber band stretching out. Uh, it, very smooth motion, a little more even motion than you get out of the springs, at least on the 
the the only one I've ever flown uh, spring related was the V sixteen, and I think that that's not a pro arm. That's a uh, video something. I don't know. The V16, go look it up but if yeah. you find it. And it, so the design is nice. And I wonder if this was a case, did he bring his own vest to the table and like they uh, just he, like, handed him the arm to plug in? He might have. Uh, I don't have the details on that on who owned what um, because it's, it's very likely that he was just. Well, because uh, if you look right here at this particular image, uh, that's the shaft from the arm itself. And then this mm-hmm. is where it couples to the vest. And you can see right here in the image, it came loose from the vest, but the arm was still secured in its post hole. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, yes, maybe it is misuse on the operator's part, but man, what an embarrassing moment. And hopefully somebody had insurance on this crap. Well, if, if anything, as long as uh, the failure isn't tied with uh, the company that makes the arm, uh, it's nothing but free publicity for them. I, I thought it, I thought the arm, too, the concept of it was interesting. I think one of their major selling points, too, was the fact that I th- they mentioned somehow that these rubber bands were easy to acquire. Like, uh, yeah, they're off-the-shelf like the industrial rubber bands. Uh, yeah, so, so you, can you can buy them in them, bulk. Yeah, pretty much anywhere. They're super cheap. light. So I, I think it really pockets itself for the people who uh, travel a lot and do air travel and things like that where that kind of weight really matters in what you carry around because it was the lightest thing I've ever felt and the, its capacity to carry is extremely high too so um, though I would be concerned with uh, hanging out with rubber bands in the sun all day with uh, a lot of UV light but still fascinating stuff yeah they did mention when we talked to them at their booth that they are um they do have a shelf life on the rubber bands so they do recommend keeping extra ones in boxes or whatever for for future use uh moving on to the last thing on the show notes here uh, before Devin and i wrap it up tonight uh, let's talk about the the really fun instagram leak uh this guy here was uh, uh shooting some surfing videos and he mentioned that he was shooting some promo videos for Canon. Uh, he also uh, mentioned that Canon may have very well let him borrow uh, the latest and greatest 5D Mark IV, as well as some lens replacements, uh, the uh, 24 to 105 Mark II. Uh, he posted this image to Instagram, and when a commenter asked about uh, the camera being used, he basically admitted that he was shooting on the 5D Mark IV. Uh, subsequently, the account, uh, the image was pulled, and uh, the, the all the comments were deleted. So uh, I don't know what this says about uh, Canon's secret publicity market, but we do know it's coming, and now we've seen images of it. Uh, Devin, you've seen this too. I don't see anything that proves or tells me anything more about the, the camera itself other than it's out in the wild. You have anything else to add to that before uh, we move on? Well, it, 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 it always interests me. Like, is this uh, a situation where somebody doesn't know how to read their NDA, or is this marketing by Canon? You think this is like a leak uh, on purpose? Potentially, but I feel like um, it, it, if, if Canon came and said something, then I feel like it would be because that allows them to put this on a national stage by making a press release about how this isn't something or is something or whatever. Uh, but in any case, I could also see it too, where Canon is like very involved with a lot of creative guys. And some of those creative guys just get really excited about the gear they're shooting with. And they can't wait to tell people about it. Um, but in any case, yeah, this doesn't tell us much about the camera or even really a good shot of what it looks like though. I mean, we know what five D's look like. I don't imagine it's going to be much different this time around. Uh, but we all know it's coming. Uh, and there's definitely lots of people who are excited for it, and I can't wait to see some of the footage that comes out of it. Yeah, the uh, 5D Mark IV will probably... I mean, I've sold off my 5D Mark III, but I haven't gotten rid of my Canon glass. Uh, pending the price and mm-hmm. the value offered by the 5D Mark IV, that will determine whether I continue down the Canon path. I am excited for the camera. Uh, hopefully, we'll see an announcement on that at Photokina uh, coming up, I think, in October. Now, one last thing before we get out of here, and uh, Devin and I kind of halfway talked about this. I mentioned I sold off my GoPro uh, Hero 3 Black Edition for 220 And now, guess what I did with that $220, Devin? You bought another Z cam. No, no, I, I'm not going to buy another Z cam. Uh, they still haven't fixed the firmware on that. Those guys, uh, 
pulled my strings at NEB and made me feel like they were going to do something good, but they still haven't done it yet. The, I actually threw down on a pre-order of the YI uh, 4K camera. You remember that weird one that we you talked did? about? You did? The oh. one I brought up. Yeah, I put it, that in the show notes because you're like, oh, another action camera. What's the point of this? <laughs> well, I, okay, I was looking <laughs> at it and I'm like, I have $220. This is two, uh, mm-hmm. the retail price of that is $249 pre-order. Uh, it has a screen on the back, has better battery life. I do use my GoPro still, but I may s- mostly use my uh, Hero 4 Black Edition. And I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice for 220 to have another one of these? And part of me was like, you're wasting your money, DJ. Don't do it. But I ended up pulling the trigger. Uh, I've got one on pre-order, so I'll have some posts on that when I get it in my hands. But looking at all the specs and everything available for that right now, I checked out the YI software. It, it It's as good or better than GoPro software. I did notice, though, and I don't know if you've used uh, GoPro in a while, but they've added, finally, editing features to the phone app for the Hero 4 Black Edition. You can actually do video editing on your phone from your Hero 4. So You know, that that sounds painful to me. Actually, uh, it is not as painful as you think it should be. Yeah. Um, the clip-in cuts, it's basically for trimming files and possibly combining files together. But it's, it's a matter of thumb scrolling through the timeline, clicking on something, hitting the cut button, and it'll chop out whatever you want to delete and Really, with an action cam, what do you want? You want the part that you did the action for. And what do you end up filming? Well, a lot of people hit record, mm-hmm. and then they meander about, you know, get on their surfboard, swim out and to wherever. And then they get to the point. And then they get to the one point. Well, now you can scroll through and cut the timeline to the one point where it's awesome. You can cut again, and I, I didn't explore all the features, but I think there's an auto feature, too, that will cut and allow you to clip multiple things together and then add music to it similar to some of the things that we've seen uh from these uh startup companies that are providing automatic editing for your footage uh, i don't mm-hmm. know i don't know how gopro has gotten through all of this but i do know that they acquired several uh phone video editing companies and have built up a software team of like 100 or 150 people uh, because right now the market is in a bad way for uh, gopro cameras but uh, if they can build up a good software solution for video editing on your phone before anybody else, then they might still have a future moving forward in the software department. I mean, what do you think about that, Devin? Am I crazy? Uh, no, I mean, I think that that's kind of been their plan for a long time. The fact that they acquired uh, Cineform and then turn that out and release that for free and then worked with Adobe to kind of really get that integrated. Um, I think it shows that they've got bigger plans than just necessarily cameras. Um, and, and you're right. The, the, the We have an emerging market where people are capturing video, but they don't know how to put it together. And so we're, we have kind of these boutiques that are popping up that are doing little edits for families and things like that, uh, which isn't a terribly bad business. But we're also seeing a merging of people creating software that auto edits based off of a lot of metrics, depending on how much telemetry you can get it. I mean, we've seen things on Kickstarter and Indiegogo that haven't delivered yet that claim based on your heart rate and other things, it'll auto edit your footage for you uh, off of their action camera. And so we could see something like that coming from GoPro, where GoPro is trying to put together a camera package that tries to react to accelerometer data and things like that to automatically edit together some footage to get more people interested in buying their product, knowing how easy it is to produce really cool looking videos. So, but back to the camera that you brought up that you're talking (laughs) about pre-ordering, which I find fascinating because uh, you said, what's the point? Uh, What, what I will say over the GoPro and why this is probably a better decision is for one thing, I think the company's learned a lot A buddy of mine had the original that did HD. It didn't do 4k at 30 frames. Uh, and he wasn't exactly thrilled with it. The quality was good, and the fact that it uh, de-warped the lens and it had stabilization and it had a low light mode that was had very little noise, he was all about that. But the app was mostly still in Chinese at the time, and the camera, it was impossible to change any kind of modes. When you turned it on, you had photo, you had video, and that was it. If you wanted time lapse or any of that kind of stuff, you needed to bring the phone out and use their software, which was a bit of a headache because there was so little English in it. It seems like they've learned all those lessons and all those complaints in this camera because now with the touchscreen, it means you won't need your phone necessarily to set up this camera. 
um, as well as, too, I think they've made some improvements on the app for uh, English-speaking uh, owners of the camera and things like that. And then on top of it, I'm thrilled with the fact that not only do they give you two hours of 4K, which may not be as high bit rate or something like that as the GoPro, but I think two hours in this tiny package is it's more actually, useful to me. It's 60 megs uh, Kodak, so 60 meg Kodak, so it's as good or better than GoPro. So it's about on par with the GoPro. Yeah. One thing that I find crazy is the fact that it has eight hours of standby time. And I know that shouldn't sound impressive because, you know, cell phones have been doing that for years. But for some reason, GoPro refuses to, like, have decent standby time. And I find that my GoPro runs out of battery very quickly, even if I'm not shooting anything with it or if i'm taking a time lapse and i say take a photo every minute it still only lasts an hour and a half so well and what uh, sold me is actually look at these there's uh, several sexy features one the back screen here is actually a usable resolution that looks nice that that screen looks really nice and uh, it's uh i think the dpi works out to be like 250 or 300 uh, 330 yeah so very very nice there it's got a what is this a built-in quarter 20 mount yeah oh i mean how long have people been asking that from gopro exactly the screen <laughs> looks good the uh image quality is i mean it looks to be as good as a regular gopro it's using pretty much the same innards as the gopro it has uh 5 gigahertz as well as 2.4 gigahertz wireless transmitting capabilities so streaming your video is going to a lot easier uh they've open sourced the app for the device so a lot of people are programming for it that would otherwise not been available and the price is is darn cheap at 249 uh, when i sold my hero 3 black edition i was looking around trying to decide if i should if i was going to use the money for fun i was going to buy some wacky thing that mm. i didn't really need and i kind of decided on the wacky thing and then i was like well wait a minute you know, I still wouldn't mind having a couple of GoPros to throw in my backpack now and again. And having a GoPro-like device that is half the price, quarter of the price of the 4 Black Edition and provides me with features that I wish the Hero 4 Black Edition had, uh, that's enough for me. Uh, if this doesn't come to me anytime in the near term, I'm not really worried about it, but I did throw my own money where my mouth is uh, looking at this thing. Devin, are you going to get one now? Gosh. Yeah, now I have to. Now <laughs> now that now that you don't think it's, you know, now that you think it's kind of worth the price. Gosh, I've been holding off on it cuz I'm like, uh, I've got a GoPro and now you're right. I should just sell my GoPro and get one of these. Well, and I wasn't I wasn't expecting to get what I was asking out of my GoPro Hero uh, 3. I was I was expecting to get maybe 150 or 160 out of it, uh, especially looking at the eBay sales of that particular item. But I put it up on Craigslist. Uh, someone contacted me the same day, and 220 is, I think, that's the going used rate on Amazon for it, and yeah. no fees or anything. So, bam, done. Rolled my bad. money into something else. Uh, no problem. Same with the uh, Hero 4. Or, I mean, the, the uh, not the Hero 4, the Zoom H4n. Like, I had no plans of selling that, but I was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, uh, H6, uh, I found one for really cheap, so I put my H4n up on, on Craigslist, and lo and behold, it sold for more than I was expecting, and completely paid for a Zoom H6, so now I am rocking the H6, which is uh, bulkier, and uh, it does work, it, it's nicer, it is, it's way nicer, it is def- yeah, it's and, definitely And nicer. do the preamps sound better? Yes, yes. You are listening to them <laughs> right now. Uh, the controls on this are much more usable. I don't know how excited I am about the whole color uh, front-facing interface. It's okay. The menu system's a little clunkier than the Zoom H4n, which was sort of set up as an easy-access get-around-in menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, when you hit the menu button, you have to use the little scroll wheel, jog wheel, and sometimes it's the menu button that does something, and sometimes it is the little moving shaft that does stuff. And I don't think it's as well thought out as it could have been. Uh, the other thing that's missing, and if this camera doesn't go sideways on me again, I can show it. Uh, if you look at the H5 versus the H6, the H5 has a bar all the way across right. this. And the bar isn't an absolute necessary a necessity, but it keeps it from you know accidentally bumping this dial right here. Uh, the dial sure. can be an issue... Uh, where it's at, and I wish they had incorporated that into both of them, but then it would have made it more bulky. So maybe that's not the solution. I don't know. Uh, anyway, bought this 
got the new fake GoPro coming. Uh, yep. I'm excited. I'm leaving the country in another week, uh, and then uh, we'll be back to regular schedule after that. Devin, I know the last thing before we go, 4th of July is coming up. Do you have any crazy plans for 4th of July? Uh Yes, uh, I am. Where can people find you to... on the Fourth of July, Devin? <laughs> I, I'm trying to set up a, uh, a time lapse of fireworks with uh, motion control stuff. Oh, nice! Because uh, I've been looking for more excuses to bring out my motion control and go through the, the hassle of setting it up. So, uh, a, a night on the hill with some fireworks seems like a good excuse for that. Beautiful. On my end, uh, I, don't, I think I'll be in Seattle for Fourth of July. So. Thanks for that. Uh, Devin, before we get out of here, where can people find you? You can just find me on Twitter at DevoCut. I love taking questions, so feel free to ask me anything. And, of course, guys, you can find me at DSLRFilmNoob.com. You can find me on Twitter at DSLRFilmNoob. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere podcasts are distributed. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you ingest this. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. And, of course, leave your comments in the YouTube section or at us on Twitter. I don't think it's at us. Uh, I'm old. I'm an follow. old person. Follow it's us. It's follow, yes. Mr. Old Person. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I was just informed the other day by my nephew that Twitter is for old people. So, uh, <laughs> obviously, I am uh. dating myself in this neck of the woods. I will see you guys next time. Devin, we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>